0: you're listening to a podcast from the media motel coming up this week in episode 358 Roseanne on Twitter and Raheem's tattoo life after boy bands and TV evangelists and their jet it's all coming up after cashier number nine and gold star.
1: tune which i heard on bbc six music they had their one they were taking part in this biggest weekend thing that all of the the sort of major bbc radio channels seem to be and i was listening to this show i can't remember the chat Mm. that was hosting it but it was about an hour long it was it was the sound of belfast that was on on the sunday afternoon and really uh, in this caught my ear and i do quite like cashew number nine anyway i I heard them on a better union compilation a few years ago but i really enjoyed that i thought it was great so album to the death of fun which came out in 2011 on belly union that was
2: cashier number nine and its opening track which was gold star i really enjoyed it fantastic some really intense lyrics but the sound sort of california meets belfast really, really yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome to the podcast from the parish council it's episode 358 i'm terence stackham and also a gold star it's juliet harris
1: that's very kind of you to say so. Hello, everybody.
2: George, there are some, there's some famous people, uh, celebrities I suppose we might call them, who who seem constantly on the very precipice of killing their careers. Um, yes, very true. Sort of like a, a vocational death wish. Um, some therapists may, might, might say that such people deep down, like maybe they feel they don't deserve their success and are always seeking ways to ruin their careers. One such person who has often appeared to be on the verge, uh, staring over the cliff face of her TV stardom, is Roseanne Barr. Yes, indeed. It's nearly 30 years now since Roseanne alienated a nation by screeching her way through the star-spangled banner at a baseball game. And since then, social media, in particular Twitter, has allowed her uncensored access to air her... Unusual views Now <laughs> this week though Jules, um, an appalling tweet which she has since blamed on sleeping pills has led to uh, the ABC network cancelling Roseanne's show
1: well yes it's, it, obviously it's not been ideal the events for Roseanne this week has <laughs> it really I was very much uh, enjoying Stephen McGann the chap one of the McGann acting brothers mm. in, in uh, one of the Irish acting brothers who was in Call the Midwife I think recently um, he tweeted oh I had such a terrible night last night I took a couple of sleeping pills woke up and it turns out I've annexed the Sudetenland <laughs> which I was enjoying very much so, uh, so yeah I'm never quite a fan of this sort of oh I'm sorry I was massively racist I am um, I I, I I drank too much, or I uh, I took too, I took too many pills, and I wasn't myself. Um, my experience of in vino Veritas means that often one's true personality <laughs> is revealed by such things. So I don't think it's exactly a great excuse. Really, I mean, it was it was a shocking tweet. It was it was uh, you know, a tweet obviously comparing a, an American politician. Um, it was sort of it, it was everything really. It was kind of a Muslim conspiracy. She also takes part in Jewish conspiracy tweets. Mm. I very much. Enjoyed her um, Chelsea Clinton's perky put down of her uh, Roseanne tweeting about uh, Chelsea Clinton being married to one of George Soros's nephews, and uh, Chelsea Clinton basically saying, "I'm sure they're great people. I'm not married to one of them. Have a lovely day." Uh, very much enjoying <laughs> Chelsea Clinton's kind of oh, yeah. cheery sort of passagel responses. But I mean, Roseanne's tweets have been going in rather wild directions for a while. Although I enjoyed uh, someone tweeting that, obviously, to be fair to Roseanne, it's difficult to tell nowadays between what kind of racism gets you fired and what kind of racism <laughs> makes you president of the US. <laughs> so we're living in a febrile times as people would say. But um, in a way, although I think ABC did the right thing, and I really admire their bravery. Actually, it was a horrible, obviously racist tweet, mm. and I'm glad that, that ABC took the took, you know took the risk of, of killing off their uh, their you know the Roseanne sitcom reboot has been enormously mm. successful. It's a huge potentially a huge. Category cow for them I, I mean it was very brave of them to do that and i admire them for it and it was very telling that rosanne initially did, wasn't particularly apologetic until she was fired at which point she very much became she realized the severity of her actions shall we say once it started costing her money like many people do um i have sympathy for the cast and crew and in fact interestingly in the last day or two there's been reports that um that they're possibly going to reboot roseanne without roseanne and focus it around the daughter darlene played by sarah gilbert instead which i don't know if that's going to be a runner or not but um, the most interesting thing for me that, that and, and i'm sorry in a way although i'm not sorry that roseanne's been cancelled under these circumstances the most interesting thing about the revival because i used to watch it when i was younger mm. um, are, are you familiar with what happened in series nine no or season nine so what basically happened was roseanne was a was a a sitcom that you could divide into two chunks anyway Mm. seasons one to eight and season nine Mm. and i mean to to warn people that haven't watched it and might want to Mm. watch it you have to in today's day and age i am going to spoil a season nine but i think it's interesting Mm. i want to talk about it so season nine starts with the Connor family winning the lottery.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And and the season goes on and is really strange. It's almost like a hyper reality that they get into increasingly surreal adventures. <laughs> Literally, adventures every week. There's the Ab Fab women make a cameo one week, for example, <laughs> and and it gets ever madder. Um, Darlene and and her husband, David, they get married at Disneyland. And uh, and Dan has a large heart attack. He seems to recover from that. But at the end of the series, it ends with this enormous row where Dan and, and Roseanne literally... Smash the whole house up because he's been unfaithful. So that was season uh, season eight. How mm. that fixed. season eight finishes with Darlene getting married and Dan having a heart attack, and then them smashing the whole house up. Season nine doesn't seem to really well. It doesn't doesn't acknowledge that, and lots of uh, other weird things happen in season line line like Roseanne and Jack and her sister Jackie's mum comes out at Thanksgiving and suddenly says she's gay, and it's all very strange. And Dan is away looking after his sick mum for the most of the season, and you don't know where he is and and they're sort of getting back together not getting back together and then in the last episode which is the season finale about halfway through this kind of story a voiceover kicks in from Roseanne and it acts actually turns out that none of season nine have actually happened or rather (laughs) she is writing a memoir and she's only kicked in the bits that she likes. Dan has died. Dan never recovered from his heart attack and Mm. is dead. They didn't win the lottery. Actually, it's not her mum that is gay. It's Jackie, her sister that has come out as gay. And and basically, she's the whole thing is literally kind of, it was all a sort of semi-dream type thing. So when they brought it back for season ten, they've effectively had to pretend that season (laughs) nine it's never happened so they've had to what they call retcon so retro retroactively retrospectively continuity the program so dan is alive again and 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 i just think it's so fascinating that they brought it back in the first place and that we basically can't really talk about season nine because it just doesn't fit and as a side point speaking as a gay woman i find it fascinating and I don't think anyone's really picked up on this that when Rodan talks about she's changed bits of her past or rather she's kept in the bits that she likes and she's and she's got rid of the bits that she doesn't like, I find it really interesting that she found it easier to deal with her mum coming out as gay at Thanksgiving than she did do her sister i think i think it's it's absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. from a, sort of a, a a screenwriting scholar perspective, and so you know whilst i'm- i'm glad that they got rid of it. I, I just see. I'm just endlessly fascinated by the fact that when they brought it back in the first place, it was problematic because they had to pretend that the, fir- the most recent season never actually happened.
2: Right. Well, um, yeah, I'm no doctor, but like you, I'm fairly sure there's little if any scientific or medical evidence to suggest taking sleeping pills makes you racist. I, I'm with no, you on that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I have taken them before and I've never felt I've no. never felt the need to start writing anti-Semitic conspiracy theories or, or, you know, egg Muslim people in the street. That's never happened to me on sleeping
2: no, pills. No, no, me too. Um but I'm really pleased, I didn't know that update that you gave us, of the potential at least of them fitting the show, rejigging the show reshaping yeah. it around Darlene um, and that's, I think that's really good because I think what what troubled me about cancelling the show was okay, you know, okay, that's punishment for Roseanne, but also now well, a very size, yes, yeah, yeah sizable number of blameless people are, are now out of work um, because of Roseanne's uh, racist language on social media, and that just didn't feel right. So I'm, no, I'm, I'm absolutely.
1: Sorry. Although someone has made the point on Twitter that the um, that the entertainment unions in America are mm. apparently extremely powerful. Um, you might remember a few years ago American TV drama basically shut down for a few months because there was a writers strike yeah. um so so actually there've been some suggestions on twitter that that everyone probably would have been paid for C- for season 11 already mm. because that is the, the bargaining power of the union so it's possible that people didn't miss out financially mm. but you know for lots of people this was you know the lower r- rung of the actors and performers and, 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 the, and the staff this was their possibly in some cases their final shot of the big time I suppose mm. so sure. you know, in a way it would be helpful to them if they can retool it around Darlene I don't know if artistically that will work but having said that given they had to entirely ignore season nine anyway
2: um
1: you know what's what's the worst that can happen
2: yes but the, the, let's hope it does go that way now also in the news this week is the English footballer Raheem Sterling mm. now there have been times in in recent years when I felt rather cross with Raheem however it's nothing to do with his lifestyle. I I moan at him at the the, the television when it seems on countless occasions when playing for England, he's clean through on goal, it seems he must score from five yards, and then he leans back and scoops the ball high into the seats behind the goal. That's what annoys me about Raheem Sterling. But this week, though, (laughs) Raheem Sterling has faced... Incredible amount of uh, tabloid criticism because um, it started this week. It, it, this week as well, he was late for training and so. On, but it began because he has had the image of a gun tattooed on his leg. So, Jules, is Raheem promoting gun crime? And should he be sent home and banished from the England team?
1: Well, I mean, there's there's so much to kind of unpack in this story, mm. I think. I think it should be pointed out that the, the reason why Raheem Sterling had a gun tattooed on his on his right foot firstly i think he's right-footed so i think it's kind of the sort of the 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 shooting pun Mm. secondly his father was killed by gun violence when raheem sterling was two and he said that this is his tribute to his dad and i think a lot of that has been missed i mean there is an argument and although it is entirely up to raheem sterling to to you know pay tribute Mm. to his father as he wishes and it's a very personal thing equally there's always this kind of role model arguments, and mom might argue perhaps he didn't quite entirely think about how perhaps that would look. But equally, you could say why should he have to? And the reason why I say this is, working class. Well, I know all fo- most footballers are working class. Mm. You very rarely come across you know middle class footballers, but there there's all been an unpleasant seam in the British tabloids of knocking down successful working class fo- uh, footballers I don't think Raheem Sterling is the first one to get abused mm. David Beckham and, and Wayne Rooney particularly used to get really you know they, they couldn't do right for doing wrong it, it, sterling gets it particularly badly i worry that there is a racial undertone mm. however unconscious here but someone did a someone called adam keyworth did a really interesting thread actually on twitter of every of, of basically loads of negative headlines that raheem sterling has got and if we if we kind of read them all out now and read them in detail mm. but if we go through them all it does make you wonder what's behind this kind of constant trashing of raheem sterling uh the one where raheem sterling was tired the sun tied raheem at 3am lions party uh the one where raheem was labeled football idiot for no apparent reason the sun tweets from troubled you to 100k a week the life of football idiot raheem sterling what's that about the one where raheem sterling was greedy for wanting a pay rise after a successful uh uh, there's another one the sun uh, uh, sterling sinks the new low england failure steps off plane and insults fans by showing off blinging house or otherwise known as the one where rahim was obscene having bought his mum a nice sink out of his own money <laughs> um, um the one where rahim dares to fly via EasyJet. the daily mail earns 200 k a week but takes 80 pound easy jet flight back from holiday not sure what that's got to do with the daily mail the mm-hmm. one where the sun um criticises Raheem Sterling for driving a Mercedes without having cleaned the mud off it. Um, the one where uh, Raheem Sterling is called a love rat at the same time as having been reported as proposing to his long-suffering girlfriend. Um, the one where he's described as being a rat for being seen with a friend on holiday in the Caribbean. Um, the one where the Daily Mail says Raheem Sterling treats himself to a spot of breakfast after missing out on being crowned Young Player of the Year the night before at the PFA Awards. So presumably he has to starve then because he didn't <laughs> <laughs> um uh, the, the, the tattoo thing, the one where he was spotted bargain hunting in Poundland, so you know, he, he's either how dare he buy some batteries from Poundland. Uh the one where they criticise him for eating a pasty from Greg's, um the one where they criticise him from buying Primark from whilst on a clothes whilst on hundred and eighty K a week. So basically he's not allowed to earn lots of money, yet he's not allowed to buy expensive things and he's not allowed to buy cheap things. I mean, I do feel that, that there is something really unpleasant going on underneath this. I know that that Rooney and Beckham got it really badly as well. You know, I think it was perhaps... Given that he is a public figure, perhaps the tattoo was slightly ill-advised. But having said that, I do totally see his reasons behind it. I think the reason why I'm slightly sympathetic to him about the gun tattoo, which I otherwise wouldn't be, is that that the criticism of it in the press comes in the context of all of those other ridiculous headlines, which suggests the kind of malign
2: force beneath them. Yes, uh, getting a gun tattooed on your leg does seem a peculiar thing to do. But as you say, we don't know the full context or the full story. Well, well we, we, we know other we know the story, yeah. yeah,
1: we know enough of the story to um, understand perhaps that thought there.
2: But the tabloids do seem to have a fixation about Raheem Sterling. Almost every week there are these paparazzi photos of a startled-looking Raheem as a camera flashes in his face as he says he emerges from Greg's the Baker's, and it does make you wonder if there is uh, some sort of agenda behind it. Um, when the caravan of fame moves on life after boy bands that's next right after Nick Lowe covers Dionne Warwick I
3: have to say it and it's hard for me you've got me crying like I thought I'd never be love is believing but you let me down how can I love you when you're not around Get to the morning and you never call Love should be everything or not at all But it don't matter whatever you do I made a life out of loving you Only to find any dream that I follow is dying I'm crying in the rain I should be searching my world for a love everlasting And feeling no pain When will we meet again? Why do you have to be a heartbreaker? Is this the lesson that I never knew? Gotta get out of this spell that I'm under My love for you Why do you have to be a heartbreaker When I was being what you wanted to be Suddenly everything I ever wanted Has passed me by Is joy when not you and i my love is wider than the universe my soul's crying for you and that can't be reversed you may mind i am held by the power of you love tell me when do we try or just say goodbye why do you have to be a heartbreaker is this the lesson that i never knew brought This world will
2: end Not you and I It's such a lovely cover. That's from his brand new EP, Tokyo Bay, uh, covering a song written by Barry Robin and Morris Gibb. That's Nick Lowe and Heartbreaker
1: that's lovely I do mm. like a Nick Lowe cover I must admit I very much enjoyed his Christmas album uh, Quality Street a few years ago mm. and that had some lovely covers on it he, he seems to have he seems to have a knack of getting getting a kind of a new perspective on a song I particularly enjoyed his rockabilly version of I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day <laughs> he's, he's he's you know I think he's such a talent I, I'm mm. such a fan of Nick Lowe the older I get the more that I embrace my inner centrist dad and become a big fan of Nick Lowe <laughs> the,
2: the history of pop music has many examples of people, usually blokes, leaving groups and then having to deal with that decision for years, even decades after. Mm. Um, It's hard to believe really that Roger Waters has never regretted his decision to leave Pink Floyd. That was 33 years ago. Uh, Roy Wood left ELO um, a somewhat startling 45 years ago, almost as long as the time elapsed since Peter Gabriel left Genesis. Mm. Um, 1975 but the gold medal must go to Pete Best still with us of course who has had 55 years to ponder being asked to leave the Beatles on the on the cusp of their success so it was intriguing to read a piece in your The Guardian this
1: week yes indeed my personal newspaper
2: yes by Tim Johns about the mm. regrets or otherwise of members of boy bands who've jumped ship uh, some with success some not so much it led me to wonder Jules Why is it so hard to let go of fame and why those that have experienced it so often then spend years and years trying to chase it back again?
1: Well, oh, I suppose it's like living, uh, to use my, my very trendy word again this week, I suppose it's like living a life on hyper-reality, isn't it, really? You you live at an absolute peak. I think it's there's probably a similarity to why people that have performed at the top level of sports then struggle in their life afterwards. Because if you have lived your life revolved around a very strict routine, so in the case of sports, you know, performing mm-hmm. every week or, or, you know, participating, your life is lived in seasons, isn't it, if you are a sports person? and you have a very rigid kind of pattern to your life and the same if you remember one of these boy bands you know your life is a kind of a rotation of performing in concert recording music or if you're in any band you know concerts music personal appearances all that sort of thing and if you're in a boy band you've got that added layer of glitz that you have to do Mm. the kind of the celeb circuit as well don't you really so if you go from a life that is one of routine and it's full of basically constant adrenaline constant adrenaline Mm. rushes constant excitement you know constant sort of doing amazing things and not having to do any of the boring rubbish stuff. I mean, that's what, one of the things that was so interesting about this article is the extent to which people particularly in boy bands live in a bubble and when, when they are literally spat out again into real <laughs> life the fact that, you know, they decide the, the Irish boy band sal- salad ended up covered in flies because it hadn't occurred to them that you needed to wash it mm. or the fact that they were they were literally weren't used to dressing themselves this Derek Moran chap from D-Side said that our stylist used to take us to Selfridges and spend 50 grand in a day so whenever I had money I'd just go there he said it took me a while to realize that there were other shops you could go to and that I could buy a t-shirt in H&M for a fiver I mean when you when you live a life that is so separated from reality and has all the good bits of life with none of the bad bits I can totally understand why having experienced it you'd absolutely some people could do absolutely anything to get back there again there are some people that hate that side of things and they're usually the people that manage to adjust to real life and, and, and come back to having good careers but it must be particularly upsetting for people like Pete Best I mean for some of these boy band characters they mostly left when the boy band stopped so So most of them kind of all finish at the same time Mm. to be like Pete best, where you've been asked to leave a band that goes on to be the most successful of all time. I, you know, that is, that is very, that's very difficult isn't it there was a really nice little document um a drama written a few years ago and um, i have to, to declare a personal interest here because the writer david quantic is a friend of mine mm. but there was a, there was a, a drama it was on sky but i did manage to watch it through non-sky related means cough um called <laughs> snodgrass which was based around the idea that john lennon I can't. I'm struggling to remember that either the Beatles didn't become successful, or John Lennon basically the John that was it. John Lennon never met Paul McCartney, so the quarry. Paul McCartney never joined the Quarrymen, so the Beatles never really happened. And the Quarrymen were moderately successful and didn't really go anywhere. And John Lennon ended up being a kind of a you know a low ranking civil servant. And I love the kind of the idea of these sort of alternative realities. Mm. The what ifs, and you know, for people like Pete Best, you know, it must be really hard because he's living a kind of post fame existence without ever actually having experienced the positive sides of fame. And all he has to deal with is people like us sitting here speculating on how he feels about the fact that he wasn't in the most successful band of all time. Mm -hmm. So so that's a very kind of specific, that's a very specific sort of issue. But no, I I think people want to be famous again because if you have experienced proper non-real world bubble fame and you don't know how to use a washing machine and you've never had to use a washing machine and someone else does all your rubbish chores I mean also um Brian McFadden, who left West West actually he did leave West Up when they' were at the house of their fame. He said that you know you forget you forget how everyone else lives, and he says I had this vision of hanging out with my kids and seeing my mates, says McFadden, but as soon as I got home, everyone around me was off to work, and the kids were in school. i'd end up begging my mates to go hooky off work so we could play golf. I went from being surrounded by all these people every day and singing in front of thousands to being surrounded by. Nobody and and actually, there's a parallel here. Uh, lo, uh, listeners will probably remember me being very, very keen on all-out war. That book by Tim Shipman about mm. uh, about Brexit. Well. Yeah, and the politics behind it. Well, he's released a sequel called Fallout, which is basically tra- tracks events from the end of that book up until the general election and the night of the general election and the, and the fallout of that afterwards. So it's a fascinating book. David Cameron is, as one would expect, a very periphery figure in the second book, but he, he appears very briefly um, and is rather a sort of a sad figure, really, and a rather detached from reality figure himself in that uh, often people... People go around to see him and find him in sleep in front of the tennis. And he often asks people if they will play tennis with him during the day and doesn't seem to understand that everybody else is going to work. So, um, so, yeah, there is this kind of, you know, when you haven't lived in reality and then all of a sudden you go back to reality and it's not like you thought it would be. You have to do rubbish stuff and nobody's there. I get it you know i totally get why you want to you know why why fame is like a drug and i do think that that particularly with these adrenaline rushes and endorphins you know adrenaline works in the same way as a drug it's addictive it changes the power of the brain you know it changes the makeup of the brain to give you an intensely enjoyable experience and you want to go chasing that high again
2: I found it a little bit grating that many of those interviewed by Tim Johns for this piece as you've mentioned wind on a wee bit too much about how after being molly coddled for a couple of years they found it difficult to readjust and I did find Brian McFadden uh, particularly twerpish in this piece because yeah. um, when he said he left the group and all the, the points you said and he also said um, having had people making all his decisions for him he stared into his wardrobe not knowing what shirt to put on I mean come on you know yeah, oh, I know. It, it reminded me of that time Elton John split from his longtime manager John Reed and yes. Elton was suddenly quoted in interviews all, all, all of a sudden um, saying how much fun and energising he found it doing sim- simple things for himself like booking airplane tickets or movie tickets and or ordering you know food and that sort of thing um, but of course that sense of fun lasted about five minutes before he had a new team of helpers valets and chauffeurs in place um as anyone who's seen the movie uh, tiaras and tantrums yes. uh, c- can confirm uh, um fame hides her head among the clouds that's what virgil said and it seems many on descending from those clouds they spend their time uh afterwards clambering to get to get back there
1: Yeah, I I, I, I really like that, actually. You know, there aren't many podcasts that someone will quote Virgil whilst talking about boy bands. So I would like Alistair to be appreciative of that for a second, please. (laughs) The other point Mm. I would come back on regarding, I I, I can't (laughs) believe I'm slightly defending Brian McFadden, but I think I am, (laughs) is that we forget, I think, that... The, these these they were literally kids when mm. they joined the boy band so most of these these lads in boy bands literally were 15 or 16 when louis walsh or whoever it was kind of plucked them from from obscurity so i mean what teenage you know there aren't many teenage boys i would hazard or, or perhaps even teenage girls but particularly teenage boys i think who would have any who would be doing who would be doing housework who would have much of a grasp of of how to care for themselves anyway really if I see what i mean they were probably literally still living at home with their mum doing their washing. So I think, I think that is, that is a, you know, I think that is a point to bear in mind. The other thing I would say, what you say about, about sort of suddenly splitting with your manager, um, uh, there's a really good book i would recommend anyone read this even if you're not particularly interested in the group it's really eye-opening i buy a chap called david sinclair i think it's probably out of print now mm. but you can get it fairly easily called i think it's called wannabe and it's basically the story of the spice girls and it's a, it's an he used to write for the times and you can tell it's an incredibly well-written book mm. and it talks about when the spice girls at the height of their fame got rid of simon fuller as their manager mm. like literally overnight and there's this kind of scene where they're, they're, some, they're at somewhere and I think it's Nicky Chapman who's quoted as saying that literally they've gone from having everything organised to them to Jerry Halliwell is on the phone in a dressing room somewhere trying to book some cars to pick up the Spice Girls from somewhere to take them somewhere else and the car company won't deal with her because they only ever deal with the manager even though she's Jerry Halliwell and that's quite so actually to be fair to the Spice Girls they tried to manage themselves for a bit and uh, and again sort of fame and e- Goes taking over. It's amazing how sort of a lack of connection from the reality of what it's like to manage somebody can then sort of come back to bite you as well.
2: Yeah, very fair point. Praise the Lord, we're looking at TV evangelists.
1: <laughs> of course, that's a natural segue from boy bands. Very much
2: it? so. That's after a new track uh, from Brandy Carlisle.
1: You're feeling nervous,
0: are you, boy? with your quiet voice? An impeccable style Don't ever let them steal your joy And your gentle ways To keep them from running wild They can kick dirt in your face Dress you down and tell you that your place is in the middle When they hate the way you shine I see you tugging on your shirt trying to hide inside of it and hide how much it hurts
2: lead single from her new album uh, released a couple of months ago. The album is called uh, By The Way I Forgive You, uh, described as a delicate masterpiece by Rolling Stone magazine. It's a splendid. Brandy Carlyle and The Joke. Jules, back in 2008, 10 years ago, um, I I went through a a bit of a strange phase. I became transfixed by a television evangelist.
1: I mean, um, nothing you say surprises <laughs> me about your strange <laughs> phrases anymore, so I'm I'd probably oh. meant to be surprised at that, and yeah, it, it just sort of bounces off me, really, but do yeah, carry on. Uh,
2: well, I had, uh, surprise, surprise, just been given the heave-ho after another longish-term relationship. And, uh, oh, well,
1: I, I'm sorry to hear that, and mm, as ever I, I I feel the loss was the other parties.
2: Thank you so much. But Of course, it left me with time on my hands. Mm, you know, of So I was flicking through TV channels and came across... God TV and I became <laughs> I mean that is not that a natural great. home. It's- it's an enjoyably straightforward title for a TV channel
1: as well. You literally know what you're signing up for, don't it, you?
2: It is what it is, as they say, yes. And <laughs> I, I became sort of mesmerised as they, they were featuring live this bizarre man called Todd Bentley, um, who was a sort of self-appointed preacher, but he was drawing huge crowds to this place in Florida. Tens of thousands of people were turning up and hundreds of thousands watching on TV. Well, as I said, I didn't get hooked in, in in a religious sense. I was just fascinated by this whole business of people getting drawn in by this unlikely preacher he was he was peculiar in his looks and manner he's covered in tattoos and he had this odd oh he has this un, odd unnerving way of kind of bashing people or pushing them pushing them over as he claimed he was <laughs> healing them it's really peculiar um and uh, some major news uh, outlets and TV networks they picked up on all of this and he of course they did an investigation he of course was exposed it turned out that there was no evidence he had actually healed anybody and or he'd been having an extramarital relationship and he had to, <laughs> he had to resign from his so-called ministry and the whole pack of cards collapsed mm. and particularly having spent a lot of time in America I'm fascinated by these TV evangelists we don't seem to have such a proliferation over here in the United Kingdom Kingdom. But this sort of stuff is still thriving in the US. This week we learned about a TV preacher called Jesse Duplantis from Louisiana. Why do they never
1: have normal names? No (laughs) one's ever called Rod Smith, are they?
2: They, They're really not, no. Uh, He's from Louisiana. He's asking his followers in a, a video posted on his ministry website, he's asking for $54 million so he can upgrade his private jet. Um, He's got older jets, but he believes God wants him to have a new one. He says, and I quote, I really believe that if Jesus was physically on earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. He'd be in an airplane preaching the gospel all over the world. So Jules, um, what I'm thinking is, shall I send you the details of how to contribute so you can give to the preacher's fund, and he can uh, acquire his fifty-four million dollar jet.
1: <laughs> well, do you know? I think my checks got lost in the oh, post in this unfortunate oh. gentleman. I mean, it's it's absurd, isn't it, to go down your "if Jesus was alive today" route? By the way, one of my favourite—I'm a big fan of Alan Bennett, the writer—but oh, yeah. one of my favourite of his monologues is the one that he did himself in the original set of six Talking Heads called "A Chip in the Sugar," where it, where he plays a character called Graham, who still lives with his mum. And it's, it, I mean, I do think it's one of the best, but there's a, a lovely kind of mini scene where the, where the vicar comes round to see them. And the, the vicar is wearing what they, what all of the characters insist is describing as training shoes. And uh, and the vicar, they ask why he is wearing these training shoes. And the vicar says, if Jesus was alive today, I think these are exactly the silken sort of shoes he would have worn. And after he leaves, the mum says, he was wearing pumps. How can you look up to somebody who was wearing pumps so I, I love the idea of what would Jesus be like today? I I have often thought that, that, you know, Jesus would be quite, I think he'd be a massive stoner, to be honest. I mean, he's always quite, you know, the beard, the long hair, the sandals, the, not, the being a quote-unquote carpenter without really having a proper Preaching
2: out of the cereal cafe in yeah, uh, and, Old Street. And yeah, and
1: living at home with his mum, not knowing how to do his own laundry. Like the boy, He'd be in a boy band, possibly, as well. I don't know. Anyway, so I, I find it all very strange and very... <laughs> (laughs) depressing Um, I'm minded of Karl Marx's uh, religion is the opiate Mm. of the masses here and I do I get very angry with these TV evangelists actually I don't go down the route I do define as humanist I don't define as I don't believe in God I do believe it's possible and one should try to live as good a life as you possibly can but I don't think that you need you need God to do that however I do have friends that are religious and I really you know I really respect that Mm. and it's entirely up to them I, I don't define as an atheist because it's a movement that's become hijacked by people like ricky gervais that are really unpleasant mm. and talk about people believing in fairy stories and things like that and i hate it i think that's unnecessarily rude and unkind and disrespectful and as dogmatic as evangelism in religion which i find equally as offensive um i so therefore i get really angry with these kind of they are literally charlatans mm. that, that are these preachers because there are some people that genuinely believe in. God. And I don't think they're stupid for doing so. That is their choice. And then, of course, their belief means that if they are of a vulnerable character anyway aside from all that they then get taken for a ride and some people might say oh well you know if you're that stupid then you know that's that's my dad would probably take his attitude Mm -hmm. if you're that stupid then you get everything that's coming Mm -hmm. to you and i think actually no i don't think it's the fault of people for believing things i think that the the vast majority of the blame has to lie with these fraudsters in the first place because that's all they are they are fraudsters inevitably it always it always falls apart as you say with 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 your friend todd it always kind of, it always mm. collapses. There's always nothing at its core whatsoever. They, you know, materialism is the very antithesis of of Christianity and of actually of, of what I understand to be Jesus' teachings. Mm. Although I have just criticised Jesus for being a, a, a theoretical stoner, he led he led a very simple life. You mm. know that was that was the whole point of the Bible that Jesus leads a simple life and you know he's just an extraordinary guy in an ordinary girl, world man you know he, he he you know he's he wasn't interested in big trappings and this is the same Jesus that turned the tables over at the temple mm. because he couldn't believe he thought it was you know it was avaricious I find it you know I, I find it difficult to believe that these people are really uh, sticking to God and Jesus's teachings and that they're, they're doing anything other than just taking the massive Mickey out of out of you know mm. uh, unsuspecting and in some cases potentially quite vulnerable people I I know, I, I don't I don't think it's right at all. It makes you really angry and there is no I you know, has I, I hope that there is a god and that they go to hell, frankly.
2: Mm, so 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 many of these TV preachers end up in tears in news conferences as yes, um, they, could, they they confess to their own shortcomings, usually involving uh, sexual shenanigans or the siphoning off of money or both. Yeah, but, it, they're always sorry afterwards, aren't they? Oh yes, it's, it's a fascinating insight really into humanity that so many people are looking for meaning to life that they're prepared to suspend absolutely, all yeah. sensible decision making or foresight and buy in, often literally of course as in this case, to these preachers and I, I I just hope that people aren't daft enough to fund this uh airplane for mr duplantis and um i, I would say you know save your money because jesse duplantis uh, won't save you uh really. abs-
1: abs- absolutely and i think it's very interesting as well uh, that's a really good point that you make mm. about the kind of suspension of disbelief. Mm. and actually i find it quite ironic that particularly towards the towards the left of the spectrum there are people that are you know very unpleasant and critical about you know i've seen people with Corbyn twibbons on twitter you know mm. being very critical of religion and actually politically from both ends of the spectrum particularly in the uk with brexit but mm. possibly with trump in the us as well we seem to live in what somebody referred to the other day as the age of magical thinking mm. or as as john Elliott, the new statesman puts it tinkerbell syndrome mm. he says i'm fed off of being told that it is me that's wrong because i don't believe hard enough politically at the moment i think there's some irony that people that will be very critical of you know people believing in religion is believing in fairy stories or perhaps politically believing in some fairy stories themselves at present also if people want further reading this week on 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 the cult of religion i would thoroughly recommend the simpsons episode where uh where homer uh, persuades his whole family that they're going to join a cult that turns out to be <laughs> a complete sham and they are the the the, the, cu- the basis of the cult is that they and again sorry for spoiling, but it's mm. fantastic is that they they are going off to space in a spaceship and that they are the true believers and they're going to be saved and it ends with Homer trying to reveal that it is in fact a fraud and he pulls back the barn kind of door because it's sort of got Amish overtones to reveal a spaceship and everybody shouts at Homer for having ruined their chances and as the spaceship takes off and starts to fly away the side panels of it fall off and it is revealed to be and, and it's making a humming noise and as the panels fall off it is revealed to be a man cycling on a sort of a tandem thing with bags of money Around him, blowing into a comb and paper to make the kind of whirring noise of the uh, of the spaceship. So, at it, 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 its peak, The Simpsons once again hitting the nail on the head there. I think so. I would recommend that if you if you want to if you want some further enjoyable reading about Colt's
2: Assuming you're not changing your life and joining God TV. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. uh, I
1: mean, I'm on their waiting list. I'll let you know when it finally works out for me.
2: Well, while you're you're, uh, on that waiting list, where might we find you this week?
1: Well today is Sunday the 3rd mm. of June. So we we have a you know a sort of regular-ish recording schedule but mm. we we pick different days to record yeah. on. So um so if we if I don't see you all before Saturday the 9th of June, on Saturday the 9th of June I'm DJing with my friend uh, Debbie Bongo Greensmith as the Bongo Harris Experience. Uh, we think we're calling the event this time Are you Bongo Harris Experience. Um <laughs> we will be appearing at the Dragon Bar in Hastings playing <coughs> playing discs from 8 until 11 o'clock. Um, Also, radio-wise this week, I'm back, hopefully, with Indie Wonderland on Wednesday. Um, This is Wednesday, the 6th of June on Baracay Radio, 8 to 10pm, Indie, Alt Rock
2: and Miscellaneous. Splendid. Thanks to you for listening.
1: Yes, always thanks to you. Consider my thanks to be a kind of blanket state.
2: (laughs) To play us out, um, a new track from one of Ireland's. Leading DJs,
1: yes, indeed, and uh, again, this was something that I discovered as, as as part of the Belfast Strand of Six Music's programming last weekend, last Sunday. Um, I was completely mesmerised by this. I just mm. couldn't stop listening to it. I've been listening to it all week. It's just on a loop, and it's a sort of track you can loop as well. Really, I mean it doesn't it doesn't really do anything much, but I really much, I very much enjoy what it does and indeed doesn't do. Um, I had no recollection of this chap previously Um, I'm not I'm not really a sort of dance music specialist but there is some dance music that I like very much and I would include that in that category so this is a chap called Phil Kieran from Ireland and this track's called Polyrhythmic have been listening to a DACA media production.